0: So this is the Learn with Flow podcast. Today we are here with Manuel and Marcus from uh, the Neutron Star Systems. I sometimes screw up on names of those things, but I met you guys at the recent uh, New Worlds conference that was down here in Austin, Texas. And you guys were uh, from like Germany or, or the EU, so that's kind of a plane trip. But I, I'm always curious, as like a first question as we like get to know you is, um, why did you pick space? Like of all the things you could do, like you could become any other type of engineer or any other type of entrepreneur, like what in in both of you made you get into the space field?
1: Uh, Well, um, I always like the stars and I always look at the stars. I come from Venezuela and when I was a kid, I used to go to the beach and uh, it's an equator. And um, when I look at the sky, I used to see the sky full of stars like You cannot see it here in Europe or in, I don't know, in the United States. But there it was amazing how many stars there was. And uh, since then I have been always passionate about uh, looking at the stars and uh, as a source of inspiration. So um, it was not planned to do something on space, but I just happened to found this, uh, this excellent friend of mine, Georg uh, Hedrich in Stuttgart, and he has this technology, wonderful technology that can uh, bring us to Mars. And uh, I thought that I can use my skills for marketing, for sales, for engineering, for, you know, for entrepreneurship, and try to give it a shot to the thing.
0: A quick follow-up on that before I hear Marcus's is um, do you are you at all into like wayfinding or uh, like do you have like a favorite constellation or anything like that since you looked at the stars so much growing up you know wayfinding where like you can use your hand and like throw out where you're at it's from the Moana movie for like most people who, like have seen that that probably mine
1: out. is Cassiopeia okay mine is Cassiopeia because if you turn it around is M and I am called Manuel so it's pretty easy <laughs> you okay. <know>? that makes <laughs> sense I guess that should
2: be my favourite as well then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um. Yeah, for me it was probably a bit of a different way. A lot of people these days, when asked about space, it's all they've ever wanted to do. And I actually first had an interest in aircraft and planes, which was the reason I went into aerospace engineering. Um, I liked the planets and stuff when I was young, but... Yeah, I never really thought about spacecraft engineering so much until my second year of uni when we had a module on it. And then I thought, actually, this stuff is really cool. Um, And I think the main draw for me was that it's such a challenging, uh, such a challenging thing. And as an engineer, you always want to design new and innovative stuff uh, and challenging things. Uh, You know, if you go into the automotive industry, you might end up spending three years designing a cup holder or a or a window switch or something. Because everything you do in space, even the most simple appearing components needs to be the best they can be. Uh, because once you send the thing up there, then uh, it has to work. And if it fails, then uh, well, you can't really do anything about it. So that challenge was really quite um, attractive for me. And um, And the other part of it is that I look at all the industries and I think compared to everything else space has by far the most potential to change in the next uh, 40 or 50 years which is the time i'll be spending in it and uh, the opportunity to contribute to that is also really um alluring i would say yeah.
0: are you uh are you guys this is completely like a, a separate tangent but you said 50 40 years are, are you guys up into the longevity stuff that's the research that's going on to like extend people and like like treat longevity as a disease. Like a lot of people think it's just like a natural symptom of being a, of being alive. But some people treat it as a disease. So I'm curious, if um, based on like 60 years in the industry, like I s- assume you're about 25. So that's like a pretty long time. Um, but like, are you guys on the the side of like uh, aging is a thing to be treated and combated, or do you think like it's just kind of like a natural, like like rocks or minerals, it just kind of is?
1: Um, my personal view is that. Um uh, aging aging is a question of spirit um i'm 44 years old and i still dream and party like i'm 24 <laughs> and um i i honestly think that uh that uh, longevity is an option that we will have and uh i think this is um free will um for everyone who wants to live longer i think that uh if i have the chance to keep myself fit and uh live for longer time i i will look at it but mm-hmm. uh um but i guess that after so much experience you get bored of uh, experience you know so um i don't know it's very difficult to for me it's a very difficult question i i just hope that i can i can keep fit for the next 30 40 years to bring this up to um Achieve some things and then, yeah, pass away. Um, <laughs> give done to other ones.
2: Mm-hmm. you think you've run <laughs> out of things to do?
1: Um, well, I don't know. Um, I guess I guess that doing nothing is also a luxury these days. Uh, so um, I don't know. Maybe maybe I do find some some some. Some calls, on some mission that I can accomplish when I'm very old and I still fit. Um, but uh, but I, I'm, I don't know. What about you? You have 50 years ahead.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, and uh, it was a very good guess, Lowell. Um, I'm 24, not 25, but uh, within one year, I think is uh, worthy of applause. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, when I say 40, 50 years, I, I think that's kind of matching the current retirement age 65 70 ish so maybe I'm being optimistic with that um maybe I'll have to work longer <laughs> but uh <laughs> honestly honestly it's such a long way away I I, uh, I struggle to I struggle to really think of how I'll feel about it 40 years away because mm. I you know I always have uh, a list of things I want to do that say traveling or, or hobbies I want to want to take up or activities I want to do and in that sense, I always feel like I wish I had more time. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? If you ask me in forty years' time, maybe I'll say, "Well, I've had a good life and I've I've done it well, and um, I don't feel the need to extend it either." Mm. But I, What about you,
1: Lowell? What about you? You want to extend it?
0: I don't know. Uh, I I'm a big fan of health span increase. So there's like there's lifespan health span. We're like. Health is the interesting one where you basically have like the body of a, a young person and have all those the mental faculties of a young person, but then like the last couple of years you drop off and you can kind of see that with people who exercise and don't exercise. Like people who exercise and take care of themselves tend to have a, a bit longer health span, but they do like, you know, then taper off before the end. I like the idea of uh, increasing health span. Longevity is interesting in that like, I think it exists. I think it's something that we can extend mm-hmm. and I, I'm curious how that would change us as a species if we were the type that didn't, I mean, at one point in time, we, we like, we, like a couple hundred years ago, we'd all be dead. Like, like we'd be old men, like every single one of us, like the life expectancy was like 20 or something like that. And every now and again, there'd be some old people, but you know, so just imagine the type of innovation we could have if like Einstein lived longer or any of these other people. I think that is pretty exciting, but as long as like the health span comes with it, you know like if you're just if you live a long time but you're like sitting in like a retirement home unable to do anything, then there's no fun in that so and I think that I like think, oh, go ahead
1: I think that having a purpose will always be the key to uh keeping yourself uh in longevity, because mm. uh being able to live longer without a purpose, I don't think that's. Sounds uh, too funny to me, but uh, yeah, no. is 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 um I I, I like what these guys uh, some guys are doing with uh, AI and um, you know studies on longevity and I think that this will play an important role if we want to go to other galaxies and other planets. Um, we need people that live longer because they're going to be traveling around <laughs> for much longer time, but um. I guess that at this point we just need to get to we just need to get to mars first you see that's mm-hmm. that's that's um that's big enough um if we can make it uh in this life uh i don't really mind if uh i die old, old and <laughs> and
0: shrink mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well uh coming to what you guys are working on how is uh since like i haven't really described what it is what is it and how is it getting us closer to to getting to mars um well this is the thing we have
1: we have the chance now to exploit a technology uh that has been researched all over the world so everyone knows about it everyone in china japan us germany italy uh, they have written papers. This is a long heritage of research. So this technology was from the very beginning the technology for um, interplanetary missions, and um, it just faded away. Uh, it couldn't fly. You see, um, uh, NASA spent millions of dollars on programs to develop it, and then um you know they they dedicated to other other stuff they couldn't bring it up you see and they forgot to look at you know other technologies that could enable this one and um we just happened to be at the right time in the right place and uh, realize that with superconductors and this technology AFMPD MPD, applied film, magnetoplasma dynamics, this, this helps someone, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, uh, you can enable really this technology and make it to fly. So um, this is a very simple technology, and I will try to put it in a, in, in a, in a way that uh, everyone understands. You have to imagine trucks, like, you know, trucks that you use for... Uh, transporting uh, uh, cargo, and the motor of these trucks um, is a huge motor with a very, uh, uh, you know, uh, torque capacity, etc. It's a very, it's a powerful motor that can run on diesel for many, many hours, you know, and make transportation a very, very uh, 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 efficient and economy activity. Economical activity and this is the the case the same case with this technology. This technology is analogous to um, You know to the motor of a space truck that can carry a lot of cargo in space and that have a value and That will have a value for building infrastructure that will have a value for uh, getting to Mars to get into other to Jupiter moons or uh, any other place in the galaxy. And uh, it can do it in a more efficient and economical way than chemical propulsion. Mm. Um, mostly because um, the payload that you can carry with this, propo- uh, with this technology is much larger than the, the one you can carry if you are running on a, on a, on a rocket with a chemical propulsion with you know, some propellants. So, um, I don't know if Marcus can add something to that. Uh, Marcus, uh, aerospace engineer, so... Uh, yeah, I mean... Please do the honor, my friend.
2: <laughs> Go on your truck's example. It would be like trying to... You get a... a what do you call it in America? A semi? Or well, not a, you know, a big truck, a heavy goods vehicle. It would be like no, trying to run one SUV? of those. SUV, you're talking... No, a
0: Is it a semi? The the ones that normal people drive or the ones that
2: haul No, no, uh, no, no. no, no. The ones, uh, the ones that transport the stuff like, uh, yeah, uh, they're called semi trucks. Yeah. Semi. Uh, or semi. The semi. Okay. Um. Yeah. To put it in perspective, it would be like trying to operate the semi using the engine from a smart car. I mean, if you put that thing in there, it's just gonna you're gonna you know chug along at five miles an hour, and it's gonna take you weeks to get your shipments from one place to another um this the problem is that all the current existing technologies are smart car engines and you need a semi-engine or a semi-engine um that's that's what we bring it's um you know it's basically bigger it's stronger it's faster and it's efficient as well um and it has the uh, potential to cut the costs of these missions by several hundred of millions of do- millions of dollars not only because it's efficient but because you're running on a fuel which is uh about 100 times cheaper than what the other engines run on, hmm. so case, you can run on yeah go ahead no sorry go ahead you're you're going
0: i was just going to uh, ask a you can run on
2: diesel. it's like yeah you can run on diesel instead of let's say you know aircraft grade kerosene for example it, it, this is the kind of difference you're talking about and, uh, yeah. and that's why it has such a huge disruptive impact for these missions
0: and this is uh primarily like planet to planet it's not like something that would go in atmosphere right it would be something primarily used in space to transport yeah, things to uh, and
2: it would only yeah it's only usable in space you, you can't use it as a launch vehicle um for example because uh despite despite all the great uh, benefits of the technology it is uh, yeah, it's not as a high thrust as a rocket, for example. Mm. But um, but within space, it has a load of applications, not only these cargo missions. You can use it for spacecraft, which, for example, travel to other satellites and fix them. You know, They'll go and they'll repair parts which have been damaged or which have reached the end of their life. They can go to spacecraft and refuel them, which means they can operate longer. They can go to dead spacecraft and... Uh, push them out of the way so that they're not a threat to other spacecraft, um, and even you can use this to to transport humans uh, to Mars. Um, so the, the the applications of the of the of the technology are really uh, nearly limitless. I would say. So
0: I think it took Voyager, and I think they had an ion drive. You guys can uh, please if I'm wrong on the type of engine, but the, it took them like eight or so years to get from Earth to one of the Jupiter moons. If they were using one of your guys' am I right in that number? I feel like it took like a decade for them to get from the Earth. Voyager. Yeah, the Voyager one, spacecraft. Didn't it take uh, like 10 years for them to get out there? And it started as an uh, ion propulsion, I but then it- Even
1: more, I think. Okay. Uh, so it's it have been like traveling over 15 years, I think. I mean- Yeah, I
0: it's a long time
1: it's a lot
0: of time i'm, I'm <laughs> gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, just gonna to check it. i just i know it's like a like a long time because they started out and it was like the propulsion was the like a, a piece of paper like sitting on your hand like that's how much it was but it added up over time because it's in a vacuum so i'm just curious like taking let's just say 15 years for that to get there how long would it take something with uh your type of engine pushing it to get to one of the jupiter moons that's a good
1: question, Lowell. And I think Marcus, uh, Marcus knows the answer because I asked him to give me a solid, solid number to get to Mars uh, on a particular mission scenario, and he was really reluctant to give me the, the number because uh, you know people were going to nail us down. But um, uh, maybe you want to talk about that. Come on, Marcus. Don't be so humble. Uh, this is our chance, you know, get it out.
2: Uh, What I can tell you with uh, complete confidence is that we do it quicker. (laughs) Um, how many, how much quicker? I don't know. Probably, (laughs) probably, probably several weeks quicker at least, um, perhaps several months. I mean, I need to sit down and have a look at the, the mission details, I'll be honest. Uh, this stuff is, uh it's a bit more complicated than saying it'll take half the time. It'll take twice as long, but, uh, I, I, I for sure it'll be quicker. And, and, uh, well for Mars, okay, let's give the comparison of Mars. We have run a study for, um, for a spacecraft or a cargo spacecraft, which is using existing technologies. Um, and by the way, these existing technologies are already higher thrust than this iron drive you mentioned. And, um, we came to the conclusion that we can get a cargo ship weighing 100 tons to Mars uh, about three weeks quicker than that.
1: And how much do they take? Because that's important.
2: How much do they take? Um, it's on the order of a year. So, I mean, uh, but, but three weeks in space is, is a big difference when you have the astronauts out on, on Mars, on the surface of Mars. And, uh, you know, they need their, their, their food and they need their supplies. Then, you know, every, every day is of the essence. Uh, they don't have the luxury to wait and three weeks can make a big difference
0: so instead of nine months it'd be like eight months in a, in a couple of weeks so it shaves off
2: <laughs> you know it would, be, it would be something like that uh, for this scenario but um, not only that it would be 300 million dollars cheaper mm. that's that's a big difference the, does it does it get well, you
1: have to see the face to 300 million dollars lower? yeah you see, that's a lot of money. So that's, mm-hmm. that's basically a space program. You see, one mission can give you another space program to make another mission, mm-hmm. you see. And that's a little bit of the discussion we're trying to bring across.
0: Is a, Does it get better with distance? So, like, is it is the sweet spot going to Mars in terms of its effectiveness? Or is it the same cost... Um, Or does it cap and plateau if it goes to like one of the Jovian moons or something like that? Is it that
2: it it won't plateau? It will, uh, it gets exponentially bigger because um, the further you need to go, the more fuel you need. And then the more fuel you need, uh, the costs get even higher uh, that we save because our fuel is a lot cheaper Mm. and we use less of it.
0: Mm. Is it um, like a safer, like for the astronaut's point of view, is it a safer fuel to be around or is it as like? safe as the other fuels that would exist? Uh,
2: well, for, for the electric systems, so these iron drives like you talk about with the low thrust, um, the safety of the fuel is not really changed because you're using mobile gases, which are by their nature, chemically unreactive. Um, however, compared to chemical systems, which use things like hydrazine, uh, which is very toxic, then there's a huge, uh, there's a huge difference in safety and it's much safer for the astronauts. Furthermore, when you can reduce these transfer times and the astronauts need to spend less time in microgravity and in the space environment, this is also much safer for them. Uh, firstly, because their bones uh, don't get as much weaker when they're in microgravity for less time. It means that they, have less, they need less time to um, adapt again to gravity on whatever planet they're going to. And secondly, because they're exposed to less of the radiation that exists in interplanetary space um so on all, on, all, on all those counts we improve as well the safety of the astronauts mm-hmm.
0: yeah the um i i always like i i look at like what NASA's looking to have like the problems they're looking to address and one of them is ionizing radiation and it's just like been this like giant question mark that no one really has like a good uh solution to though i do i'm just curious if you guys like this one just because i i think about this a lot um i like the one where they like basically stick a magnet out ahead of uh the like a head and behind of the spacecraft and basically like like uh creates like a small magnetosphere so it like goes around it i like that idea but i don't know how like much energy that would cost i don't know if you guys have like a pet thing are you talking, a, are
1: you talking about a uh, cosmic radiation protection
0: yeah yeah so like you wouldn't yeah. have the ionizing stuff
1: yeah yeah i mean this is good that you're talking about that because the technology we are developing is based on superconductors, and to build the magnets that generate such a magnetic field that is able to protect astronauts and protect, you know, a spacecraft from cosmic radiation, you know, you cannot build this uh, magnets with conventional copper technology or, you know, aluminium. You need to you need to build it on something that is light and compact. And superconductors are by uh, excellence. Uh, I mean, for I mean. They are by excellence the most the most suitable products for do that. And um, there are actually several um, uh, uh, mission designs for this. Uh, it's called toroidal, toroidal magnets. And they can be used to protect the, the, the space where the astronauts is going to be traveling. And um, they have to be cryogenically cool. Uh, and uh, uh, they, they are that, that still huge for building the electromagnetic field. However, if you compare to conventional technology, they will be 10 times or 100 times bigger and heavier. Mm-hmm. So to bring them up is going to be a problem. So. I think that uh, these these concepts this design these concept designs for missions uh, man man missions are, are 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 good enough to go on it and 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 uh, to develop uh, i don't think it's any more a question of a technological challenge uh, Noel. it's a question more of a political will mm-hmm. uh, We are not in Mars or we are not putting the waste to Mars because there is not a there is not a a, a a coherent political will to do so, and um, uh, probably the United States is a little bit better than in Europe. But in Europe, is kind of like a you know, there is for everything there is an agenda. You see, and mm. you all the money goes on the different things, etc. And at the end of the day, um, uh, the dream of of us of you of, of everyone is you know to see that humankind reach another planet you know uh a bit far away than the moon at least that would be my dream uh or that's my dream so um yeah cosmic radiation coming back to the topic uh without uh, me uh going away is something that is also possible and um is something that um, that is possible and feasible, and yeah, it's more a question of money than
2: possibilities. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. The, Marcus, anything to add before we move on, or are you just like that? I agree.
2: Oh yeah, I think he's explained it pretty well, um, and that's really one of the most important parts of what we're doing, in my opinion, is that when we prove the use of these superconductors in in the engine we're developing, then we open up uh, all these different applications of them in in spacecraft design, which can really um, make further savings in high-power missions and uh, enable a lot of these uh, really innovative ideas like the cosmic radiation shielding.
0: There was an interview that uh, Elon Musk gave when he was showing off Starship a couple, I think it was like last month, and um, Mm -hmm. someone was talking to him about airfoils? I don't know. It's like a type of engine. And he basically, like no one's ever done it. It's like aerojet or air something. Air is in the name, but it's like, uh it's going to bug it me. Rocket nine? Uh, no, no, no. It's like a, it's like a specific type of rocket. It's like an air jet or I can't remember it, but like he was talking ah. about it.
1: Air breathing, air breathing, air breathing propulsion. Probably? It's like
0: aerospike, spike, air spike. I don't know. I'll remember it like later and I'll feel dumb about this, but okay. basically they were having this conversation and uh, no one's really used them before. And this, uh, like Tim Dodd, I think was the guy, asked him if like someone were to come up with this, would would Elon like be mad or like whatever? Like how would you respond to it? And Elon said like, oh, he would just adopt it. Like he would pay the money and like, you know, bring it into their spaceships. So is there anything that would make Elon Musk want to use what you guys are doing after you've like validated it? Like how would it well, like, I, would it help I, him or?
1: Uh, I think that... Uh... Listen, Starship is a really nice concept. And I think that, um, uh, uh, yeah, chemical propulsion is a technology mature enough to do it. But uh, you can do it cheaper. You can bring more payload if you just simply launch to Leo and then from Leo, you just uh, go with electric propulsion to Mars. And you know, you can just basically make better use of your launching, launching, capa- launching capabilities. And, and uh, uh, you, have a, you have a value chain, you bring stuff to Leo, you take it from Leo to moon, you take it from Leo to Mars, then you bring it back, you have a refueling station. Um, I think that Elon could do even much better with this kind of technology. <clears throat> Uh, um, and uh, he will really piss off a lot of people if he if just get it.
2: Um, if I can add to that, I think the reason he has to do Starship is because there is currently not a suitable electric propulsion technology existing. And in fact, that's what we're bringing. Because he has this vision of having all these humans on Mars and having a, a colonization. But this, uh, this, in my opinion, needs to be... Um, constantly supplied with cargo and uh in order to do that but you can't just do that all the time with a star with a starship and a chemical propulsion it's just not sustainable with the costs so what we are bringing is a way to fulfill these capabilities in a much more sustainable manner
1: and and i i would like to add something here lowell um you you have heard certainly about in-situ resource utilization Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, uh, you can build capabilities in Mars to uh, f- uh, refuel chemical propulsion rockets, bringing humans to Mars and then bringing them back. But think about the quantities that have to be produced on the side in Mars and think about the, the, the equipment that you need to produce it. And that equipment has to be bring down there. So how many Starship trips we're going to be doing? How many Starships do we need in the size with the amount of propellant they need in order to get all that payload there in order to build the, you know, the, 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 the fabric that is going to produce the propellant and then getting the Starship back? It's just... I don't know. Um, I think that uh, um, there are currently uh, more cheaper technologies uh, to, do this, to do this. And I think AFMPD is one of those, uh, for sure. Um, uh, at the end of the day, uh, what I think that is it, that uh, talking to, to Elon Musk's advantage is that if we need to bring the uh, humans to Mars, we need to get them fast across space, you see, the shorter the time in order to minimize the exposure to cosmic radiation. And this is where I think he really has something to offer for interplanetary uh, trips, because we simply bring the cargo with electric propulsion, build the base over there, and then you just ship the guys with a starship there. And um, I think it can be a nice compromise. But, um, yeah, uh, uh, we're, we're not Elon Musk, so he will have to decide for by him himself.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I was, like, slightly distracted because uh, I was excited. Like, you were, like, drinking, like, hot cocoa or something, uh, Marcus. And I was like, oh, that sounds nice right now. I heard everything you said, but I just thought it was kind of like <laughs> your, your, your co-founder was just, like, enjoying, like, cocoa <laughs> as you talk about, like, the importance of what you're doing. I thought was yeah, I've been fun.
2: outside the whole day, and it's like, it's, like, three or four degrees here in Germany, so... Uh... It's 80 degrees here. Oh, okay. No, hold on, hold on. Three or four degrees uh, Celsius, and I have no idea what that is in Fahrenheit. Isn't it? Yeah,
0: but... You times it by two and add 36, right? That's how you figure out Celsius. Uh, okay, so that would be about 40 degrees,
2: I guess. Yeah. It's yeah. too hot out uh, here. It's weird. Oh, All yeah. right. Yeah. It's cold here, and someone, someone brings me a, a glass of hot chocolate just after <laughs> I got out from the cold, and I just can't resist. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, to, no, that sounds awesome. If it wasn't like it's really
0: weird that it's 80 degrees here. Like I have all the windows open, but uh, like, do you have anything to follow up with what Manuel was saying, other than, you know, how great your hot cocoa was with it being cold out? (laughs) Yeah,
2: I mean, him talking about, I'm sorry, Manuel talking about situ resource utilization for, uh, not only for the activities and resources on the planet, but also the fuel that you need to operate this transport system. I put it to you this way: you compare chemical systems and electric systems, ours is the electric system, and we can do the same job for approximately 10% the mass of fuel. Which means if we come with our system, then they only need to produce 10% of the of the amount of fuel from the resource utilization. So not only do we use less but we make that challenge much much easier to overcome
0: All okay right. uh there was a click intermission i don't know if this will be edited or not but uh marcus was saying that the voyager thing that we were talking about is not the right one and that uh i was thinking of something else we did not correct what it was there was one that took a while but marcus you said that it, it was a chemical uh satellite that was really small
2: yeah Voy- voyager was in the, at the start of the 70s when they were still. Um, electrical propulsion was still quite uh, immature. So they used chemical rockets and it it was only 800 kilograms, which when you think about it, that's maybe one quarter of the mass or one quarter of the weight of your car. So Mm -hmm. it's actually quite small. Um, You know, when we're talking about things like cargo trucks and things like spacecraft, which go and fix other spacecraft, then uh, our applications are gonna be be bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Um, But if Voyager flew today, and it was a little bit bigger, um, then we could uh, make it get where it had to go faster than the other technologies
0: I'm glad we could correct that, so no one yells at me. but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wish I remember what, what the one that I was thinking of the, but actually are you guys maybe like a dumb question but are you guys star Wars fans at all? Um, oh yeah
1: I, I am I am um, okay
0: well I'm going to make a reference. I used to be
1: uh, and now and now I am. I am a fan of my own Star Wars that I'm uh, doing now to get this up. But um, yeah, um, uh, I used to watch it a
0: lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like not excited for the, the Star Wars movie that's coming out like in, the, in like four weeks or something like that. It was really sad. I don't know. The storyline just wasn't... In it, but whatever. That's not the point I'm going to make. So in Star Wars, in Clone Wars with Obi-Wan Kenobi, when he's like going from like one planet to another planet, he has a ship that goes up and like kind of like docks with like this, I don't know, like this warp thing thingamabob warp. Yeah. yeah yeah and then he, he shoots over could you see like like your engine being like paired with an apparatus like that and then it could just like suction cup onto like a starship and just like you know go the rest of the way so that they can save their chemical yeah propulsion?
1: Uh, well i mean uh, let me just get this right i mean warp you know, is I think warp warp traveling is is you could not put our engine, you know, in comparison to that. That would be unfair. I think. Oh no,
0: no no no! I wasn't a uh, that the analogy I was using as in terms of the ability to use one type of um, um, like the ship to get into space was different than the, the the mode that they used to get from like planet to planet. So yours is using planet to planet. I'm not saying like yours has to be as good as uh warp. I'm saying like in terms of like making it. Uh, something that Elon Musk would use and like save him a lot of money is you could have like something like that that would like suction cup or whatever onto his rockets and then take it the rest of the way. Not like warp, which I don't know if it's yeah or not. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely absolutely. We will be basically, you know, the next connection, the next uh, you know, unloading or uh, you know the next switchover from one transportation mean to another one. And and I think that um, the, the, we have a lot of examples uh, here in on Earth. You know, you go, you bring things with the railways to the ports, then you take a ship, and that the ship is going, is running on a very dirty oil. You know, and and it goes like hundreds of uh, or thousands of tons. You see, uh, huge stuff. Um, it's pretty similar. Um, and, 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 and that's the key issue of the, of the key, not the key aspect, not issue, but aspect of the technology. So I guess that uh, the economical potential hasn't been seen yet or hasn't been discussed yet because the awareness that social technology exists is still very low. And um, the awareness of superconductors uh, it's still very low. I, I ask you a question: uh, Did you hear about superconductors before talking to us, before going to this conference? Did you ever at all heard about superconducting applications, superconducting magnets, generators, uh, cables, um, magnetic energy storage devices? Do you ever hear about that before? I
0: and feel I like um, there were some <laughs> superconductors in the movie Flubber. When I was a kid, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that made like a semi-sentient uh, green gel. I think there was someone was I was reading something about how like uh, you can create superconductors from ice. Like someone was doing that. I don't know why. Um, but in general, no. To like, <laughs> I won't, I won't, like tangent you. No, even even
2: no, even I didn't. I mean, I knew what a superconductor was, but I always thought this was something which is just used in like you know five laboratories across the whole world for really extremely specific uh, science research needs or for like, you know, some really niche stuff. I had no clue. And then I met Manuel and uh, it kind of blew my mind actually just how widespread they are and how many applications they can be used in. So, uh, (laughs) and I think a lot of the listeners probably feel the same way. But uh, the fact is they're they're here and I mean, they can really change a lot of things.
0: Yeah. Are there other applications that people like you know a lot of people don't get to play with rockets like is there something that's more yeah
1: oh well we have a whole spectrum of applications for you Lowell. so let's 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 go to these transmission lines let's talk about power transmission in high power how high power missions if you for example are using a nuclear electric propulsion system you will you would put the the you will put the reactor very far away from the from the spacecraft and where the 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 tripulation the crew is going to be so you need to transport or transmit electricity from that reactor to the main spacecraft and all of the designs are conceived to be made you know 100 meters, 200 meters all of that, if you do it with superconductors, you're going to be only five percent of the total weight that you're going to be doing it if you do it with conventional technology. So imagine, imagine that. That's one one application. The other application will be all the power electronics, transformers, fault current limiters. You know, in huge, um, in huge. Uh, uh, Power uh, management systems, you will have a lot of uh, appliances and uh, the size, the weight, and the compactness, the volume of these appliances can be reduced if you use superconductors, for example. Let's, let's go to another one, um, quantum computers. Quantum computers uh, and uh, a for quantum computers can be made also with superconductors. How is it called? Ultra high frequency antennas. Uh, They are also for big telescopes. Um, They also can use uh, superconductor wafers, uh, cool down to 4K. So, this is also a very interesting application for space. Um, you have also uh, um, the so-called superconducting magnetic energy storage devices where you can carry uh, really uh, huge amounts of power in a very compact device and you can just inject this power into a system uh, whenever you need it if you have a short uh, a shortfall. Or you have a uh, you know you have a breakdown in the electricity, so you can use these devices. And last but not least, also a very important one is, is um, uh, mm, the magnetometer. Uh, currently, you have an experiment called AMS AMS2 running at the International Space Agency, and this is using this device is using superconducting coils. Um, the cosmic radiation shields can be made with superconductors and uh, data centers uh, can be powered with superconductors. Remind, you have to remember that when you, um, when you have a, a data center and you have to move uh, and save a lot of data, you need a lot of power. And that power uh, is brought to a DC line and this DC line can be made with superconductors instead of uh, uh, conventional technology reducing the cooling needs of the data center because having a medium voltage cable in the middle of a data center you have a thermal a thermal problem you will be generating you will be losing power or, or heat you know mm-hmm. in or power in the form of heat and this is This is only just a few of the applications. You have applications in uh, marine technology for uh, sensors, for uh, magnetic signatures. You have applications for uh, very important health applications. All the magnetic resonance tomographers, they use superconductors, you know, these huge machines. Uh, You go in to do a tomography. (laughs) They have a they
2: have a low temperature superconducting magnets, for example. Can I um, add, uh, on the two percent? By the way, two percent of carbon emissions on the Earth are from aviation,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? Jet engines. So, what does everyone want to do in the future? All electric, all electric aircraft with electric motors. That's- so, I mean, think about I mean, two percent of global warming can be wiped out by using superconductors on an aircraft. And replacing, uh, making engines with superconductors and replacing all the power lines with superconductors, that's an application which can impact the whole world. Mm.
1: And, 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 and 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 this is not this is not new, Lowell. You know, superconductor has been in the technology roadmaps of companies like Rolls Royce and Boeing and NASA since since many many years. So um, the Space is just the smaller market for this kind of materials. Aviation is going to be a huge market. And uh, marine applications, you know, uh, imagine, uh, have you ever gone to the Caribbean Sea on a cruise ship?
0: I've you ever, to it though. Done that? No. I,
1: I know many people have done that. You have to imagine a cruise ship is a city. This city is consuming 50, 40 megawatt of power. They have turbo diesel generators. They have a, a, a small transformation station in the in the in the cruise ship. All of that, you know, can be replaced, you know, by superconducting superconducting devices and superconducting based systems. proposed with, for example, hydrogen and fuel cells. And I'm not ta- I'm not telling you bullshit. Go and <laughs> No, it is true because the thing is, is, because we don't know, because we don't know that it exists, it doesn't mean that it's not there, you mm-hmm. see, and it is there and people is looking at it. The thing is, is the maritime or the marine world is very conservative. Aviation is extremely conservative, but um, big passenger, big, um, big planes for a lot of passengers, for example they 300 500 passengers you know the the new concepts all electric planes they will have to be made on superconductors. there's no other way that they will they will be too heavy to take mm-hmm. off if if you have to do all that in with conventional technology and this is i think the part that um it hasn't been seen here and uh well i think that's most of the the biggest and difficult problem that we have had um, trying to sell this technology and trying to sell what we do.
0: What is, what's the, I think you guys were asked this at the conference or someone was asked this at the conference, but what's the, what's your, like all those applications, what are the ones that like you're defensible in? Like, do you guys have a patent or something like that? That makes it so like, like Boeing or something, can't just like knock you guys off and go in there by themselves.
1: Well, um, we have different partners and uh what what is it partners we have a lot of interest from the industry and because they understand that this technology have a huge impact in high power missions um for example airbus um ohb uh Thales alenia space all of these companies have shown uh, even the esa uh have shown uh, interest on the technology. ESA has put money on the development of that technology, by the way. And uh, um,
0: I said Hmm? uh, partners, I mean, uh, patents, not partners. I'm sorry if I goofed up. Ah, Sorry. Do Ah, do you have like a legal, what's your moat?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good that
0: people are excited too, though.
1: Yeah, Uh, okay.
0: Yeah, so I was just curious, like, what is, of the applications, like, I can can see the, the merit in all of them. So then... What are the ones that like you have like patents or legal? Um, well, we have legal... we haven't
1: we have secured all the patents and all the IP we have. Um, but the the I'll just tell you just briefly what we working. You know, we're working on the area of the anode and the, the cathodes for the thruster, which is like the discharge unit. That's a very important part of um, that's the. That's the, that's the core of the technology as a such. And then you have the applied field superconducting module, which is also, uh, which is also uh, you know, an integration, uh, a module that is consistent of cryogenic systems, thermal insulation materials, superconductors, electrical appliances, et cetera. It's a it's a complex piece of engineering and uh, for that, we have some 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 solid approaches that we think uh, can be patented.
2: Uh, no, patent. I'd put it I'd put it this way. I mean, we're in a position where, whilst we don't have the patents yet, we we can immediately or as soon as possible go and 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 secure these patents. And we only got to this position because Manuel has been working on this project for three years, and has developed the knowledge you need for these different areas and has uh, come with the concepts and come with the formulations Mm -hmm. of the, of the knowledge, which is needed for this uh, intellectual property. Finally, you
1: understood my friend.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. Um, My point, my point, my point is that Boeing or or whoever won't be able to just come and, and, and and patent this, this themselves because it's not a, it's not a straightforward thing uh, it takes a lot of it's taken a lot of uh, it's taken a lot of work and it's taken a lot of formulation to get to the point where we can actually secure the ip um and that's Isn't the basis we have and that's that's i think that's our most valuable asset yeah the,
0: I, well there's a, an interesting parallel with bill gates where when he was just starting out he always wondered why doesn't ibm just like with their thousands of engineers get on it and like make you know excel for windows or pcs or what, whatever it was and it, you know, like these large organizations, they they like they may have like a thousand engineers, but maybe like one or two are actually working on like a similar thing to what like Bill Gates was working on. So he could he could just like focus <laughs> down on what he was doing really well and beat them out. So I think like with like Boeing and all these other places, like they're focusing on what they're like making money in and, and the way that they've already made money, and so they have a small percentage of the pie applied to like getting in, in the ways that you guys are going through. Where this is your whole pie. So like the focus in, is entirely different. I think that's something exactly. that people don't see. Yeah.
2: And well, let me tell you this. We, um, Manuel mentioned these industries being conservative and space is probably the most conservative of all of them. Uh, at least the old, you know, the old guard or the, the old crew in space. They, they, they're very conservative. We went to, we've been to several conferences in the last few months and we, took a, we actually took a, a superconductor with us, which is this uh, little strip of superconductor about half a millimeter thick. And we showed it to so many people and said, "This thing can conduct as much electricity as you know uh, a copper a copper cable which you'd need to grasp in your fist, right compared to something half a millimeter thick. And uh, I tell you, the amount of people whose jaws just dropped, you know, one senior guy from a really big company told us that we opened his eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people were, were just astounded. That this is possible, but like you said, you know, it's clear to us and it's obvious to us because we we did the homework on it. But the you know the awareness isn't out there yet, and that's uh, the advantage that we have to or we have to take advantage of this relevant uh, relative ignorance from their side.
0: Mm-hmm. I think.
2: Um, yeah,
1: I think oh, doing on. the homework uh, Lowell was something that I started doing three three and a half years more or less, and. Um, um i started first thinking about um plasma erosion problems and then i started researching more researching more and then I, I, i'm a material science engineer so materials have been always you know uh my passion and uh, i have worked in, in rubbers and in plastics metals um surface cuttings um I have done a lot of stuff with materials and I came to understand that, um, you know, to build this, you need to understand, you know, how, how are the relationship with the different materials? You know, how you, you know, is this discipline, material size is the only discipline that it goes across. Uh, different fields when you're doing these things on space because you need materials for everything, you know, you need material for insulation, for transport, transportation, conduction, electricity, uh, many, many, many things and um, uh, it's, it's not easy to assemble all of this and to connect all the dots that you need to connect and uh, to answer all the questions. So, yeah, we did our homework and um, well i i think that it's a small case nonetheless but um i think it's good enough and big enough to 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 to, to get to get some traction i guess mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: and i hope still
0: i was uh, talking to a vc friend of mine recently and about propulsion <laughs> technology so this is going to be really salient to you guys so no, uh, uh, yeah and he i was i was saying like how do you discern like which ones because there's a bunch of them out there and um he said like, I'm paraphrasing, so I don't get in trouble for like repeating things out of, out of turn. But like the idea is that it's hard to discern who the winners are going to be in a space where like more and more people are coming up to it and like the, the chart to like profitability. And so I'm curious, like, do you guys have like a response to that or like an idea on how you guys are going to get to the profitability? And then like what separates you guys to the point where like this is going to be like the generally accepted way to move from like planet to planet in space versus like other technology that is out there?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think at the end of the day, the market always decides what is best for this. And uh, I I worked years, five years in an American company. And I had a manager who told me, you know, uh, at the end of the day, your client wants, you know, the best suitable technology or product at the lowest possible price. And it's going to be a question of economical superiority. Um, We are going to reach profitability because we simply outnumber and outperform our competitors by the use of a much cheaper cheaper propeller, full stock. One. Second, we have uh, technology that is scalable. And that's that's the problem that 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 is the limitation of the current technologies try to scale a whole effect thruster to 100 kilowatts. in other words look at the x3 x3 at nasa uh which is the nested uh nested whole effect uh thruster concept for 100 kilowatts. this is a monster this is a <laughs> this is a thruster that is operating on xenon um Make a check and uh, uh, check the availabilities of xenon propellant worldwide and you will you will come to figures that are not going to be more than three you know three or four i mean we're, we're, we're talking about of a very uh, um, a limited availability of this propellant so um, scalability comp- increase of complexity you know we're still nothing more than a gas flask, a battery and a magnet, Mm -hmm. you see? And these are the three main, you know, we have propellant, we have a discharge unit and we have a a, a coil, you see? And and the the principles of operations are very, very simple and very, very easy to to scale and, and to use. So I think that would be, this is our best shot. Uh, to reach profitability. We have one disadvantage though, and this is important also for space, is the fly heritage um, lower. And this is something uh, against, for which against we, you, we have difficulties because there have been only three missions uh, that have been f- uh, flying NPDs, two have been in Japan, one have been in the United States, and uh, besides that, uh, there haven't been more. So um, that that's a key. That's that's uh, that's one of the major things that we can uh, we can face uh, and challenges. But besides that, um, uh, I think that we have we have a really we have really something good in the hands, to be honest with you. And uh, I don't know how Marcos say it. Maybe you want to add something.
2: You talk about you know saturated market and competitors for propulsion, and um, this is an issue I've come across myself. Is when you come and say you're doing propulsion for space, people generally assume you're talking about rockets. And the the truth is there are there's probably at least over a hundred companies trying to do rockets for small satellites. Um, you know, which that market is completely saturated. There's several companies trying to do propulsion systems in orbit for small satellites. That's already a, a full market, very competitive market. But then you look at who was trying to do propulsion systems for high power satellites. And suddenly you see that at the moment, there's only two players. These, the X3, the whole thruster at NASA and there's Vasimir from Ad Astra rocket. Manuel described very well the issues with the X3 and Vasemir, I mean, they've been funding this for 30 30 years or more. It still hasn't flown. They can't run it for more than, you know, a matter of minutes without it overheating. And the thing is extraordinarily complicated and, and very, uh, very, very heavy. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to fly anytime soon. So we have this opportunity to be the first mover in this market and uh, get the head start ahead of all the competition. Um, And the important thing here is that if you look at the history of spacecraft, the thing that is continually increasing is power, and the power capabilities that you can generate with solar panels and in the future, nuclear reactors in space. Uh, And all of these things people love to talk about, going to Mars, doing cargo, doing asteroid mining, they're only gonna happen when a spacecraft comes with high power capabilities and when we enter into that regime which is already happening with the lunar gateway that's already a high power mission which is going to fly in the next years then we are coming into a very uh young market in terms of competitors uh, with a a massive head start so that's that's why i think it's a no-brainer what we're doing Mm. It's a no-brainer,
1: definitely. That's 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 uh, that's the main message here, uh, also to the audience. Um, um, it's it's really a basics um, basic basic engine um, uh, level.
0: Yeah. The in terms of team, uh, how many more do you need to get to the point where you can um, be facilitating orders and stuff? I imagine you guys are still in the R and D phase a little bit. If, if I'm wrong on that, you know, like punch me in the face and correct me. Yeah. It. But how long yeah. how many, how much bigger do you need uh, in terms of team and other things to reach the goals that you want to meet?
1: Uh Marcus, I leave you, I, I leave you to answer that because
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, we we're, we're early in the R and D. Um, this technology's been researched for 60 years, and we have an extremely uh, we have the best prototype of the technology in the world um, at the University of Stuttgart. Um, but we need, to make a, we need to make a version with the superconductors and then we need to develop it and qualify it because um, you know the one thing you have to be with space is careful because if you send something up there without testing it properly first, then there's every chance that something can go wrong and then you have a load of cash down the drain. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, within already our current founding team and our uh, scientific advisory board, and uh, the startup team we're already working with. In terms of the numbers, um, we have enough, uh, I believe, to to do all the tasks we need to do ourselves, and we already have the network of suppliers to provide all the other parts of the the system and of the development. at least, uh, at least to do the first stages, um, and then in the next couple of years, we'll probably need to add a few more people. But um, the team is in place. We just, uh, <laughs> we just need to find some funding. Mm. The, the, the big problem. The, um...
1: the big problem. The big problem. We need I some just... extra pennies. You see, yeah. when the European Space Agency got an increase of to six billion euro. And the reality is, is, they are not dedicating um, mm. uh, anything for this technology, uh, at least not that I'm aware of. And um, uh, this, is going to be, uh, this is going to be a very interesting time. I'm really looking forward to see what is going to happen to us, whether we're going to make it to uh, meet these um, this angel investors that have the big balls and the big pockets to, um, to bring us uh, to the stars, or to let them bring us to the star, and um, yeah, um, I'm really expecting to see what is going to be out of us, we, we're, we're, we're all over the place, we're talking to US, we have some plans for the US, we are talking in the UK, we are um, uh, uh, moving some stuff in Australia. Uh, You know they want to do um, asteroid mining etc. I don't know how but uh, you know they want to do it and uh, talking to New Zealand too um, and also talking to France. Uh, So we are having a lot of discussions with many uh, international uh, agencies uh, and and partners and and, and primes. but uh, everyone is still like waiting, you know, who is going to be the one who is going to do, give the first step, mm-hmm. and that's what we're looking. You know, we're looking for someone who is really willing to do the first step, and I hope that we find this someone uh, among your audience.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you looked learn. at Have you looked at Signal FX? It's like a It's like a I don't know what it's like, but it's basically this like repository of like investors and it goes down by like vertical and what like stage that they tend to invest in, like Seed, Series A, et cetera. It's really great. I, I, I like, I'll send like a bunch of investors in like a vertical that I'm interested in and just like ask questions about what they're up to. They, they tend to be pretty responsive. The, um, you can, if you sign up for it, you can see like who in your network can, connect, can intro you. And if you don't know anyone, then you can just like find a way to connect them through their, like the links that they have on there. Signal. Signal, yeah. If you look at if you Google for people listening, Signal VC Hunter, um, you'll like VC Finder something like that. It'll pop up, and um, I mean it has everything like government, PR, games, space. Yeah, I've just looked it up.
2: Looks very you know. I will have to check this out.
0: Yeah, and it, te- it can even tell you like the the general like size of the checks that they'd like to write uh, write, so you can kind of like see, and then like who they've invested in recently and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. I'd recommend checking that Uh, out as well. I I see the
2: space category has a number 57 next to it. So uh, yeah, there's a bunch in there. I've got some reading to do. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, so
0: that's a suggestion. All right. So the final three questions I like to ask everyone just because they tend to be fun is, uh, so throughout the episode, we kind of talk about like a solution oriented way of going about things. Like, so you guys find a problem and you're trying to solve it or you're trying to just like bring something to market, which is very like, like you have to have a solution. And so I'm always curious, like, what is a question that you have that you do not have the answer to? So like the, the easy one that I always ask or like that I think of a lot is if, uh, and people who have been longtime listeners will probably, I should change this, but, the, um, uh, fine, I'll change it. Cause it's not like, uh, you know, I want to change it up for people. So like, you know, like, like the Da Vinci people exist, like people who are like, like outliers for like, uh, like intelligence and stuff. So like, mm-hmm. I always wonder, like, it, do we get do we get like outliers for sentience in random species? So like being like the first dog, like a dog that has sentience and then like looks around, and it's like, Oh, I'm the only one who can like think and do stuff. Or like the first like cephalopod is like, Oh shit. Like the, the, the oceans suck. So I'm just curious, like when it comes to like, like sentience or, or um, which is like what humans have and like cephalopods and like dolphins and stuff. Um, Like I imagine like a, like a threshold being met like before you don't have it after you do. And so I, I always wonder like the outlier people who first started having it, what it would have been like, to be them so like this question i have another one is like this is the one i always ask and this is more space related but uh, if you go back in time to the big bang which is you know responsible for making the universe if you were to like shoot it in the head metaphorically like what would be here instead of it uh i don't really get a lot of good answers to that but that's something i worry about or wonder about so like, that's the type so marcus what is a question you have and it can be anything that you do not have the answer
2: to um god you really caught me off guard a bit uh you know what i was listening to the questions you were asking and thinking of answers to those. (laughs) (laughs) we can try take a stab if you want i just think about these things i think well there's the first one i found really interesting because i think being like this outlier is one thing in order to be able to see Let's say the ways to progress, you know, whoever came up with this thruster technology, for example, back in the 60s was probably some outlier, some genius. But I think it's very rare that you have someone who can not only come with these ideas, but can also then bring everything else up with it, you see. So this first dog who was sentient, he probably didn't make all the other dogs sentient, but maybe some other dog came who was not as intelligent as him, but was able to kind of it's a bit of a hard example but it was able to to put it in you know to do more with it i mean musk for example he's not the guy who's programming the rockets to land you know he came with the idea and he has all the specific people to to do that and the engineers to to make it happen but he's the one who can sell the idea he's the one who can manage the idea he's the one who can come with the vision and, and and make it a reality so i think it's it's more important Rather than to be an outlier to have the right mix of of talents um, you know both me and manuel we are just what we're trying to do here is is bring the work of uh, someone I consider an outlier, which is uh, professor herdrich from from Stuttgart, who who's been doing the work on this thruster and he's had the capability to 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 in technological terms bring it extremely far. And I think we bring as well the possibility to, to, to make it into a real commercial thing, and with in partnership with him, uh, get it to the starts, so to speak. Mm. So it's not just about one person having that ability, but the right group of people coming together with their own strengths.
0: I agree. The, well, the interesting thing, like it only matters, like in terms of like the sentience question, if that like creature is able to that creature or like its parents are able to like breed more so that like those like that genetic potential gets like passed on. So like, like at one point in time, like humans only had like 2000 of us left. So imagine like those people were probably pretty creative if not like, you know, we wouldn't be here. So like, then we have to be creative. So, um, but yeah, uh, I don't know if you guys have comments or like, but uh, maybe Manuel should go first and then (laughs) Marcus, you can think of a question. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I mean, I have always, uh, I think the question for which I don't have an answer yet is, is what am I going to do if uh, we do not succeed on bringing this technology uh, forward? forward? You see, I can imagine myself doing many things, but um, the reality is, is, um, I have no clue. I think I'm going to take a break if... uh, you know, basically, you know, go to an island and, I don't know, go to the beach, uh, soar, uh, swim for a while, you know, and let others and let others to travel with, um, with the conventional technology at a horrendous price. I don't know. Um, but um, yeah, that's my question. I don't know what I'm going to do uh, if it's not this, because I have been working, um, I have been dedicating passionated my the last four years um lower on bringing all this together on giving a voice to something that has been there but no one has seen it you see and i saw it and uh marco saw it and other people saw it and our prime saw it and that's why they gave us endorsements and uh, you saw it and you vote for us and the, well, I think you vote, I don't know. <laughs> but
0: I think- I say nothing. It,
1: you say nothing, but as you know, the audience bo- vote for us in Austin because they saw it and they, they found it probably simple and logic and, and, and doable. Um, I don't know. So that would be my question. What, what if this does not work? What am I going to do? But uh, I guess that, um, yeah, sooner or later, I will find the answer.
0: Yeah. The, a book for you on that island would be, uh, a recommendation for you would be A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankel. I think you probably like it if you're in, like, that state. It's pretty it's, it's Yeah. I mean, it's horrific, but it's good in terms of, like, helping, like, navigate yourself. It's basically about a guy who is a psychiatrist who is surviving Auschwitz. So he has, like, a very, like, how do you find meaning in like horrible things? So in the event yeah. that you are unsuccessful, I, I recommend checking out the book. But Marcus, it is your turn. <laughs> do you have a question?
2: I haven't been able to come up with one and I've been thinking... A
0: question of having questions.
2: Yeah. Um, whenever I have these kind of thoughts, it always comes back to the, to the conclusion that these questions which can't be answered or... Almost <laughs> maybe i 'm too much of an engineer in that sense, but I, I, I sometimes consider them then irrelevant and mm. I tried to like put this in context uh, one year ago, I was living on a farm in South Germany, and just doing nine to five and like you know I had the most ordinary life and if you 'd asked me a year ago, what are you going to be doing in a year 's time, the answer I would have given you is well hopefully not living on a farm anymore, but I'll probably still just be in a job and I'll, you know, I'll commute I'll do a job which I like and I'll do my I'll do my hobbies. I'll, you know, it'd be pretty I wouldn't have said I would have flown to America uh representing a startup, given a pitch, uh, you know, like uh, get chased down in an airport three days later by a guy who saw the pitch and wanted to talk to me. Uh, you know travel to different conferences give talks meet the director of the European Space Agency uh, I mean it's been like completely insane the last few months and, <laughs> <laughs> you know I would ne- I never imagined this a year ago insane
1: uh, is the best word that you can have to describe what we have <laughs> gone through Lowell um, <laughs> this is absolutely insane we have kick asses at uh the whole uh, at the doors of we have kicked doors at the doors of um, you know most of the european space agencies from the german ones to you know to the uh, to the isa we have been and we have get listeners. we have gotten listeners we have gotten people listening to us so yeah i think as long as the message is coming across uh, we will keep going, and the money is <laughs> still raising. Yeah. Then we will keep going.
0: We we will keep going. Well, the, a fun quote for you, Marcus. Since like I I gave Manuel a, a, a book, the um, Einstein said that if he was given like an hour to live and like a gun was put to his head to like solve a problem, he would spend 55 minutes defining the question and then only five minutes answering it. And that the follow-up to that is the quality of your life is is a. Uh, is, is, has a direct relationship to the quality of the questions you ask. So that's from Einstein to make fun of you for not having a question. But so the next question I have for you guys, and it's good. I actually thought your response was nice. But the um sure. the next, the next question I have is uh, what is the problem you have that you need help with? Like from the audience, not funding related. Okay. Just going to put an asterisk on there. Like we get it. <laughs> not funding related. that you love help with like, I don't know, like, you need a car or something. I don't know. Uh, you want to learn about how to speak Arabic. or It could be anything. But like, what is, what is a problem you're having that you'd love someone to come in and be like, you know, with like Thor's hammer and solve it or, or help you with it? To be honest,
1: to be honest with you, uh, the problem we have is, um, besides funding, is getting the message across. And I think you have done an excellent job today on helping us with that. So... I don't know um uh, yeah, the problem is is we need we need visibility, we need exposure that's the main problem we have at the moment, I think, because I think we have a good thing so yeah we need uh, we need someone someone important- important or or a journalist or you or any other one who have you know who is an influencer, who is someone who can reach more people, you know, to come to us and ask us, what are we doing? What are we trying to do? Because it's it's really, it's it's an enlightening job and I love it with all my heart, but it's also a hard one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I tell you, uh, uh, I was talking to a guy and he told me, oh yeah, well, I think it's paid. Ah, One of our investors, the the one investor that uh, um, talked to us after the, the pitch, he say, yeah, I was thinking space is hard, isn't it? And I say, like, no shit. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> of course it is hard. Space is hard. But that's why I probably will love it. Mm. That's um, that's our current problem.
0: All right, what about you, Marcus?
2: Yeah, um, I think it's not so much what we need, but I guess it's more a request. And there's a... There's, uh... I was really amazed and very privileged uh, to experience this audience we had at the conference, the New Worlds Conference, because I actually realized that a lot of these guys were enthusiasts who understood the whole thing about space. You know, the, not just, I mean, you know, the, the ships, the, the solar panels, all the technical stuff as well to some level. And a lot of people these days who, are, who call themselves space enthusiasts, but really only like rockets you know, and so we say, I'm in space. Oh, that's cool. What are you, what rocket are you building? And actually a rocket's obviously the the important part of it, but there's uh, so many other parts to space beyond the rockets. Maybe not quite as uh, as cool with explosions and stuff, but they're, they're really cool in their own way. So I'd ask the audience if you're interested in space and you know, you've gotten, you've gotten sucked in, or you've gotten interested because of the stuff that SpaceX is doing. Then look at what they're doing in space as well, because there's so much, so many amazing things out there. That, I mean, like like the Rosetta mission—they landed a a robot on a comet, for example, which which is completely nuts. uh You know, look at what they're doing, sending stuff to the moon now. Look at what the look at the cubesats they're sending to Mars. There, there's so many cool things out there, and uh, the more people get interested in it, and the more people read about it, then the better it is for the industry.
0: Mm. Excellent. Then. The last question I always like to ask people is I'm a big book. I I read a lot. If you could like, I I read probably too much. And uh, I always like to watch good content or like, just, I I do actually read journals for fun. So like, this is like one of those questions where it's, what is something that you'd recommend to people if they want to learn more about the type of technology you're developing or just in general, like, is there a book you recommend to people who are space enthusiasts or is there a movie that you tend to recommend? Like, this is like a recommendation thing for, in terms of content. So it could be like a journal on like the nozzle of, uh, you know, a spacecraft or it could be anything, but I'm, I'm always and like, you can like point it to me because I will probably, if it's a book, I will probably read it. I'll probably check out anything yeah. you say, honestly. So like, what, what are some things I should check out?
1: Well, um, uh, let me just check here because, uh, I have what, what is this book? Ah, uh, yeah.
2: Uh, I mean maybe I'll call it quickly because it ties in a little bit to my previous thing and I don't have a unfortunately I don't have a good suggestion for entry level or for like uh, more casual enthusiasts um, <laughs> from my studies there was a book called Spacecraft Systems Engineering uh, the name of the author escapes me at the moment but if you google it you'll find it and it is a it is a textbook and it can get quite detailed but what it does really well is it it breaks down a space mission into about twenty parts. You have a chapter on, you know, humans in space and the effects of spaceflight. You have a chapter on generating power in space. You have a chapter on on the propulsion systems. You have a chapter on the systems which control the attitude, uh, which control the way the satellite is pointing, for example. Um, and this is aimed at engineers. Uh, so there'll be a lot of equations there'll be a lot of you know tables and charts and things but I think there's also yeah, it's, it's not the kind of thing you'd read like a novel but it, it's a good breakdown of, of the way that you systems or spacecraft design is approached it's a good introduction to all the various things you need to think about because even though we're just doing the thruster we still need to think about all of these things when we design it, and the impact it has on all the other parts of the spacecraft. And um, at least, if you're interested to learn it, you can. I'm pretty sure you can find uh, the PDF online, um, and, and uh, you know, it could be a good starting point, at least as a reference. And then, if, if a particular part of the of the whole spacecraft system takes your interest, then you can read up more about it. Um, I That's think really it's a good thing. introduction to understanding. The space is more than just rockets.
0: Mm-hmm. Alright, meanwhile, well, um, I, I will, I will not
1: recommend you a spacecraft systems engineering. I think that you will just, you know, bore yourself to death.
2: That's a good uh, recommendation. Got... I'm excited <laughs> for it. But, well, yeah, um, I, mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say to read it the whole thing, but uh, <laughs> as an introduction That's... to all the various parts of it, it's. Uh, that it sounds brings, great. A nice play down yeah, I,
0: I've literally like three textbooks in front of me one's on organic chemistry and molecular biology so like maybe this is like a skewed sample size but i mean if i, think if that's I was good... gonna give
2: you if i was gonna give you a horrible textbook i'd give you orbital mechanics for engineering students i mean that that one's a real a real bastard so <laughs> All right.
1: i know i will recommend you to read a book from werner from from brown which is um you know famous uh german born and uh, later on American scientists, rocket scientists had contributed a lot to um, uh, all of the Apollo missions. He wrote a book called Project to Mars and uh, uh, I read it because my good friend and also worker and collaborator, Eurys, um, uh, she's also from Venezuela, she, she wrote the book. And she's completely nothing to do with space because she's doing in our team she's doing bookkeeping, she's doing human resources, this, you know administration where she's the one who is taking care of uh things get running and she uh recommended uh, this book and in this book there was something really um what i it was my main takeaway is this Werner von Braun have a vision of humans going to Mars as a common goal and as something that uh, you know it can be easily achieved if everyone in the world worked to that. Of course, it explains all of the technology and the difficulties, etc., but it's going to give you, it's a book that is going to give you um, a very uh, I think down to earth explanation of what it means going to Mars without getting into without getting into the technicalities of uh, orbital mechanics or plasma uh, plasma plasma simulations or something like that. So I recommend that book. I just started reading it uh, a while and I'm almost done and it's really good. I I I like
0: it. Sweet. We got like some high level stuff and some like average I don't know like layman stuff so that's pretty good uh, then where can people find like where can people follow along with you guys like what's uh your website you gotta say it so people listening can because uh, I'll have it in the show notes but like where, where can people go to like learn more about you guys
1: um well uh we don't have a website yet uh we're working on it at the moment uh if uh, people wants to learn more about us uh i think that a good way this is LinkedIn. we have a lot of uh, information uploaded there and uh, they can google us either me or marcus uh we have several publications on the topic we have uh, presented conference papers uh you can check also um the web page of uh, 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 my consulting company, PI Solutions, where we also describe not only this project we have um, or this, this idea of uh, magnetoplasma dynamics, but also we discuss also what well, we show there, another project we have with our friend Georg from the University of Stuttgart uh, about re-entry systems using also superconductors. So they can, they can see some information about us there. They can see who is the team or most of the team. And our webpage is going to be launched soon. Um, we are just, you know, uh, coming one day after the other one. Um, but um, yeah, LinkedIn uh, will be uh, the most suitable channel at the moment. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a YouTube Uh, much information yet but uh, hopefully that will come soon
0: all right sweet i'll have the links to their linkedin in the show notes then uh so this was the learn with Lowell show you know check us out at learnwithlowell.com and uh check them out as well and in their links and uh say nice things about them and even leave a comment i don't know do whatever you want to do